part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Today we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1, but we will be talking about it in the context of the entire MCU. You've been warned. Busted. Blockbusters. Today we are ranking the MCU Phase 1 with a quantity rating. Not a quality rating, because it's much easier for me just to count the number of times I laughed and everything. I'll get to that in a second. But I've been told by the bosses that I have to get the content within the first minute of this podcast in order for people to pay attention. So, there are six films in the MCU Phase 1, and my number sixth rated film quantity-wise, is The Incredible Hulk. In the laugh-out-loud category, the only thing that made me laugh, these get one point apiece, by the way, the only thing that made me laugh was the purple stretch pants that Liv Tyler's character tried to give Bruce Banner. Uh, That was hilarious because it reminded me of the old comics where you see the Hulk in purple stretch pants. That was a a good callback and it made me laugh. There were score points that I also give. And the score is just for things that kind of make me take notice of the film score itself because I'm a musician. And they get one point a piece as well. There were two instances of that. One was the portrayal of the old TV theme, which I remembered well as a kid watching the show with, uh, was it Bill Bixby, I think, as Bruce Banner and Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. Uh, But having that old theme in there, loved that. And the entirety of the Hulk and Abomination battle, to me, was fantastic. Uh, Scored really well. It followed the action. It gave it the right amount of drama. Thought that was fantastic. I also have a holy bleep category, which gets two points for each instance. And I had one instance there. And this one might surprise you. It was merely the sound when Blonsky was thrown against the tree. The sound that his back made when he hit that tree, uh, that you knew that he was in serious trouble. That totally freaked me out. There's also a two point per instance fist pump category. And there was one instance of that, and that was for the Lou Ferrigno appearance. I just, because, again, a kid who loved the television series, seeing Lou Ferrigno as the security guard, absolutely loved it. And there's also a final category of something must have gotten in my eye. In other words, I'm bawling or crying. And there were two instances of that, two points apiece for each of these. The first one was Betty seeing Bruce in the restaurant and then she runs out and then Bruce is hiding. And oh my gosh, that was so horrible Uh, to see him having to try to hide from her and her looking so desperately needing that hope that just totally got me. And the other instance was when they were reunited. I was so happy. Tears of joy came to me. I mean, something got in my eye. Uh, Betty and Bruce reuniting in the rain uh, after that hide scene, it just it seemed perfectly fitting for that to work. And the score was good there, too, but not enough for a point. So that's a total of 11 points. And it puts it at a ranking 
of number six out of the six films. Not a very high score. Here's what I'm going to say about it. I'm not going to say that Ruffalo taking over the role of Bruce for the Avengers movie and, and on throughout the MCU was a complete upgrade because I really feel like that Norton did some really good work with this origin story. It had the right amount of emotional balance for that Bruce Banner character, the tragedy and all of that. I felt like that was very important and I'm not so sure that Ruffalo could have pulled that off. Now I do believe that Norton in any of these other movies would not have worked. I believe that he probably uh, was perfect for this origin role. And remember, it was a totally different studio. I think most of the MCU, when it first started out, was being done by Paramount Studios. This one was done by Universal. And I got some more on that here in a second. Uh, but I do feel that maybe Norton would have not been able to carry over the kind of almost a different kind of fun that these MCU episodes or MCU movies typically have. I, I don't know that he would have come across well enough that way. I, I don't want to slight the actor, but I just want to say that, you know, good for this role. Don't know if you could have done another Hulk film more in the vein of the rest of the MCU with him as your lead. One thing that I will say that makes this movie downgrade a little bit and these are more of my quality things. They're not really about the quantity. We're going to be ranking strictly by quantity, but my notes uh, may have a little bit of quality things. One of the things that I really like about the later MCU films with Ruffalo as Banner is just the portrayal of the Hulk character himself. The Hulk seems like he could be Bruce Banner, whereas I didn't really feel like the Norton character and the character in the Hulk character in this film were the same person. They seemed like a different, two different entities, but you can definitely see the correlation in the CGI with the later MCU films uh, of Ruffalo. So uh, that's a plus for the rest of them and a negative for this one. As far as the cameos in tribute to the TV series, I, I, did like that. There was even a shot of, of Bill Bixby on TV, I believe, in a completely different role. You saw him on the television. Those little snippets to pay homage, I suppose, to the television show were decent. However, I, I don't know. The only the only real cameo I've ever needed in any of these films has been Stan Lee. If, when, whenever I've seen Stan Lee in it, you know, then I can accept that, okay, he's not really... Larry King, but hey, I'll accept him as Larry King in this or, or, you know, well, he's not really in space sitting on a rock talking to aliens, but hey, I'll, I'll accept that because it's Stan Lee. Um, this seemed a little bit too heavy handed, more geared towards the television show. I don't even remember who made the television show. Was it Universal who made the television show? If they did, maybe that's why they did it because they had the rights to that stuff or what have you, or could easily get Lou Ferrigno uh, back in to do that little cameo role. I did like seeing him. I fist pumped when I saw him. Um, but I'm glad that most of the movies in the MCU have not taken this approach. And this may be a studio thing. Like I said, I believe that the Paramount version that later, you know, all of it, of course, got incorporated into Disney later on. 
But that approach with the Iron Man and Thor, um, there was a lot more fun in those movies. This movie seemed very um, dark, very emotional. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think the story of Bruce Banner is emotional. But I don't know that you really needed to have it be so devoid of fun. I could have used a little more fun in this film as well. And again, none of these had anything to do with the way that I ranked it quantity wise. I simply watched the film. And if I laughed out loud, I marked it down and said, why? And if I, you know, liked the score, I marked it down and I said, why that's how we're doing these. Uh, but just the fact that the universal film takes itself so, so seriously um, as opposed to the Paramount versions of phase one that seemed to put a lot more fun into it. I really like that approach better um, than this particular one. So that's my ranking for the incredible Hulk, the universal film. It's number six of the six films of phase one of the MCU with a total of 11 points. Now, hopefully that's enough content to get you started, and I got it within uh, the first minute of starting this episode, this podcast episode, this YouTube episode. I don't understand that logic. I don't understand why people turn things off. You don't start a conversation by saying, hey, have you considered the intricacies of the Pythagorean theorem? You don't start in the middle of a conversation. You start by saying hello. So, hello, my name is Matt. Thanks for joining me. If you want to tweet to me about this particular approach of trying to get the content within the first minute just to please a YouTube audience, or if you want to comment that you think I'm totally wrong about The Incredible Hulk so far, or any of these films that I'm going to be discussing today, uh, by the way, I will be talking about most of these in the context of the entirety of the MCU. So therefore, you have been warned about that. And one of the things that I want you to do is just tell me what your favorites, how would you rank them? And you can do a quantity rating like I did, or you can do a quality rating. Simply tweet to at bust blockbuster on Twitter. And that way I will get your tweets. You can also send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. M A T T S audio blog at gmail.com. That's another way to reach me. If you want to complain to the bosses, uh, feel free to do that. You can tweet to at the word double the letters P H Q on Twitter as well. Or you can simply go to the YouTube. That's youtube.com slash C slash double P media Find this video and leave a comment on it. Hit a like button while you're at it on the video, or you can hit the down button too, I guess. I don't know. It, I, I don't know how any of this stuff works. I don't know how any algorithm works. But as far as this podcast goes, please download episodes, delete it, and then download it again. That way I'm covered that way. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Hit the unsubscribe button and then re-hit the subscribe button. I don't know how any of these algorithms work, so try anything. Uh, and just stay with me if, you, if you're enjoying the kind of content that I'm giving you. And be sure to, of course, tweet to at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. I know that the podcast is called Bustin' Blockbusters with an S, but just at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. 
I always have some polls up and things like that as well. So be sure to check those out and vote on those polls. Leave me comments, leave comments in the videos, uh, send emails, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. Do all of that stuff. Now that I've got that intro stuff out of the way, let me explain what these episode metrics are. Although I kind of did already because I had to, because I had to get the content in the first minute. I had to say, do you, have you considered the intricacies of Einstein's theory of relativity before I could say hello? But that's okay. Episode metrics. First off, we have the LOL. Not surprisingly, laughing out loud. I must physically laugh out loud in order for it to achieve a point. One point per instance. The second category, also one point, is... The score moment, or better known as the SM. The third is the HBTFMO. The holy bleep that freaked me out. Which, and that can be just about anything. It's a pretty broad category. If something uh, happens plot-wise, or if it's just a, an effect, or something like that, those get two points apiece. The next one is the FP, and that, of course, stands for the fist pump. I don't have to physically fist pump with this, but if it makes me feel like I want to, or if it makes me stand up, or if it makes me shout at the screen or something like that, that all qualifies as a fist pump. Two points apiece for each fist pump. And finally, the S-G-I-M-E, something got in my eye, uh, which happens to me often. I'm a sap. So it happens to me much more often than I bet it does to you. I get moved sometimes in combination with the music of things. The music will get me. Uh, there will be instances where I, some moments will get both a something got in my eye worth two points, or it will also get, in addition to that, a score moment if the score contributed to something got in my eye. So potentially for each of these kind of moments, there are three points that can be given out. And that is the metrics. So enough of all of my talking, right? Well, you got nothing but me talking this particular episode, but regardless of that, let's move on to more content since content is king. My number five MCU movie phase one ranked by quantity not quality, is Iron Man 2. So unlike the Incredible Hulk, the Iron Man 2 may have gone a little bit too much the other way with the lack of serious, and I'll get more on that in my notes and in some of these points. But there is a heck of a lot more fun in this movie than in the Incredible Hulk, you have to admit. And that shows up with the fact that there were five laugh-out-loud moments for me in this particular movie. And these are watching them recently. This isn't like, you know, me recalling what happened 10 years ago or what have you. This is, this is actually me sitting down and watching these movies recently. First of all, just the relationship between dummy and Tony in general is always funny, no matter what it is, but particularly his whole threatening dummy saying he's going to dismantle him. He'll, he'll soak his motherboard. He'll turn him into a wine rack. All of that stuff is just hilarious. And then the, uh, the scene with pepper, when she's just chasing him around the room, 
trying to figure out why he's giving all this stuff away, all of his philanthropic, you know, activities uh, is just hilarious. And of course, it becomes a sweet moment then when he offers to make her CEO of the company. But setting up to that is just funny, the way she's chasing him around the room and, and having to berate him for the fact that he's giving all of the stuff away. That's hilarious. Uh, the whole Nick Fury uh, scene where, I mean, okay, the I got my eye on you line was not funny. But just the fact that he was using it to make fun of Tony in a, in a lot of ways, that was hilarious. Uh, and that's why that got a laugh out loud moment for me. And uh, happy getting taken down by Natasha. Uh, and especially Tony and Pepper's reaction to it once she did it. That was super funny. I laughed out loud there. And uh, of course, uh, happy once again uh, when him and Natasha are going to the hammer uh, hideout, the hammer factory or what have you. Uh, and he manages to take one security guard out and then sees that she's taken all of them out. He got one. She got all the rest. I thought that that was really funny. Score moments. There wasn't really any good score moments in this movie for me. I'm, I'm at a total of five points and I've only got one score moment. That isn't really even a score moment. I just love that beastie boys groove homes when Tony is sitting up on the donut. Uh, I love that. That's such a cool tune and, and it seemed perfect for that moment. Uh, so I, I don't think that, Jordan gets enough love as a music supervisor. Uh, he does a fabulous job of getting great tunes for these movies. Um, the, the, the guy that, that does that stuff that talks to the artists or, or makes negotiations with the estates or whatever, so that a song that already exists on its own can be included in a film. That's a lot of work. And it takes a really good judgment to decide what song's going to work best. And that really worked there. So uh, hats off to Jordan for that. Only one holy bleep moment. These are worth two points. Um, and that was actually, I was just shocked that Ivan cut Tony's car in half uh, when, when he whipped out his arc weapon and it just split Tony's car in half. I was just like, whoa, it, it totally freaked out by that. That was good. Lots of fist pump moments in this. There were four instances, so that's a total of eight points. First one is, folks, anytime ACDC comes on, I'm going to fist pump. I don't know what it is about ACDC's music, uh, but I've always been a fan. Everything that they do is a banger. Um, some of it is not aging all of that well. But nonetheless, uh, just the music itself really gets you going. And that's why uh, anytime ACDC is on, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fist pump, basically. So uh, Shoot to Thrill, I think, is the tune that was used. Uh, and the introduction of Black Widow, of course, was a huge fist pump for me. I don't think Scarlett Johansson gets enough love, nor do I think that that character gets enough love. Um, and this was probably a, a movie that's because it was looked down on a little bit, um, didn't get her the proper setup 
that she should have had, but it was, she was just so BA in this. She was so badass. It was incredible how awesome that Natasha is and how well Scarlett Johansson played her. I just thought that that was fantastic. I loved the introduction of Black Widow. Anything Nick Fury is going to make me fist pump, but I'm just going to put one general fist pump. When he appears, uh, I usually just love it because Samuel Jackson fan, I can't not do a fist pump anytime I see Nick Fury. It's just such an iconic character. Uh, and uh, kind of back to the whole happy thing with him him doing a LOL. I also fist pump when Black Widow was just totally kicking butt at the Hammer facility. I thought that that was amazing. I loved it. Uh, something got in my eye. Four points, which means two instances. Um, and one of them was, okay, I I do know that he's the bad guy. Right. With Ivan is the bad guy for sure. But this time around watching and maybe it's because of what's happened in my own personal life, uh, you know, losing my dad and everything. Uh, but seeing him lose his father, uh, that just kind of got me this time around. And like I said, it's probably for personal reasons. Um, and the other something got in my eye moment was I mentioned the, the really, really super sweet moment uh, when Tony makes Pepper the CEO. And that was just an all my heart moment. I I was like amazed. I was as amazed by it as as Pepper was. Um, and and it also makes you feel sad because you realize that Tony really understands that he's probably not going to make it out of this. Um, and that adds an extra level of depth to it as well. Sadness and peril and everything else, but more so just the sweetness of that moment is is what made the old sappy guy um get something in his eye yeah i didn't cry got something in my eye that's what happened here are my notes first of all hammer was just this joke of a bad guy i i, I maybe that was the intention but it didn't work for me uh he, he just seemed too incompetent uh for me to feel like he was any kind of real threat and most of all of Vanko's motivations, almost all of them, are coming from avenging his father. But other than just a, a few quick quips about his father being a spy, it's, it's never even made clear if Vanko even knew about him being a spy. It, it doesn't seem like there's any chance for him to really become a villain by saying, well, it doesn't matter anyway. My father's dead. It's because of Howard Stark, and therefore I'm going to take Tony Stark out. Uh, I didn't feel like there was any real good establishment for Vanko's motivations, despite the fact that I did cheer up a little bit when he lost his dad. Um, that's still no reason to go out and just actively try to kill somebody and kill a whole bunch of innocent people in the process. And there are some inconsistencies with this movie as well. I mean, at Tony's place, the amount of destruction that came from the repulsor beams hitting each other alone. I mean, I think that's what happened there, right? Do I have that right? If they're directing it on Vanko together, why wouldn't it have any more effect than doing it individually? Because they're not actually connecting. 
they're connecting on either sides of him. It didn't make any sense to me as to the way that they finally beat him. Or if they were going to go that route and say, yes, it is that destructive, then maybe have the whole place come down on top of them afterwards. Uh, and this is what we call a Matt's tomato, where a long time ago when I used to podcast about Lost, I ranted and raved about why would they have tomatoes on the island in the sixth season when they didn't have them in the first season. Um, so that that's where the old phrase Matt's tomatoes comes from. And it's it's basically making a big deal out of a small point. But that's what I do. And that's my Matt's tomato for this particular movie is the repulsor beams. The last thing that just kind of really irked me about this movie was, woohoo, we've got a new element. I mean, and the only reason for this element to exist is to fix the toxicity problem. That just didn't make any sense to me at all. Maybe even in the spirit of the comic books, I can accept as a matter of uh, suspending my disbelief, I can accept that this new molecule is created but the way that it was created with tony just jury rigging this thing in his basement eh, just didn't feel correct it, it felt uh well we'll just do this now there's bright spots to this movie of course and i've already mentioned them mostly scarlett johansson as, as black widow um black widow is just a total kick-ass character who I absolutely love. And I do, as I mentioned before, love Scarlett Johansson's portrayal of it. And just think about the little things that put all of this universe together. When you think forward to the Black Widow movie or how her and her family used to pose for photos, uh, you know, to, to be like they were a family uh, doing for like Christmas or birthdays or or whatever, in order to have a backstory. Well, now you go back and you look at this, and when Tony's checking out her credentials, he's seeing all of these photos of her being a model and all of this stuff. All of this stuff was done. I mean, she didn't need S.H.I.E.L.D. to do any of that. She knows how to do all of this stuff already by herself from her training as a Russian spy. So there's no need for her to uh, need Shield's help in order to create a really good backstory that can be backed up with online stuff. So I love that. Um, on the downside of that, of course, it means that Tony, here's a guy who can hack satellites, but he can't figure out that Natasha's stuff um, has been planted. So there is that. And that is my number five. Iron Man 2, which got a total of 20 points. It got five LOLs. It got one score point. It got two holy bleep points. It got eight fist pump points, and it got four something in my eye points. Time to move on to the number four ranking movie in the MCU for phase one, and that movie is Iron Man. Number four. How could it just be at number four, you say? Iron Man at number four? Just in the phase one rankings? Remember, this is a quantity ranking, not a quality ranking. The most important film probably of the entire MCU franchise simply because it had 
to be successful in order for us to get phase two or in order for us to get the fabulous phase three or the current phase four. We wouldn't have any of it if Iron Man had flopped. That's my feeling anyway. That's my gut feeling is that without Iron Man, there would be no MCU. Because of that, because of the importance of that, right off the bat, I'm doing something outside of it and I'm adding an additional metric, the importance metric. It gets three bonus points simply for being one of the most important films of the entire MCU franchise. So even with those three bonus points, it's still quantity wise only ranks at number four in phase one of the MCU for me. Hey, if you've got a problem with that, feel free to tweet to at bust blockbuster on Twitter at bust blockbuster on Twitter, or you can send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com M A T T S audio blog at gmail.com. Or you can leave a comment in the videos at the YouTube. Remember this podcast is part of double P media. You go to youtube.com slash C slash the word double the letter P the word media all strung together and you will find the channel subscribe. They're trying to get to 2k subscribers at current in my last check. They were about a hundred or so people shy. So be one of those hundred people, help them get over 2000 subscribers because that will help them to get more noticeable, which will help me to get more noticeable. Also, you can tweet to them at the word double the letters P H Q that stands for podcast headquarters. Those letters do. And you can complain to them that I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to MCU. And I really don't. I'm just a fan. Uh, So it's much easier for me to do these quantity ratings where I rank how many times I laughed and how many times I liked the score and those kind of things, as opposed to uh, becoming like one of a thousand other podcasts out there that have already dissected these movies to the point to where there's really no seeing any larger picture to them anymore. And for me, enjoying movies is all about actually enjoying them rather than dissecting them like some kind of insect in a biology project. That being said, let's get to talking about Iron Man here. There were seven instances where I laughed out loud. The LOL metric. They each get a point apiece. The dialogue in the whole first sequence in the Jeep, I just thought was funny. There were plenty of moments where I giggled a little bit. Uh, So I gave it all collectively one laugh out loud moment. Pepper, when she's dismissing Leslie Bibb's character uh, out, uh, Christine Everhart, I believe is the the reporter's name, uh, when she's basically kicking her out of the house, uh, when she says, including occasionally taking out the trash. Just thought that was a really good dig. Um, Almost got a fist pump too. It didn't, but it almost got a fist pump too. Uh, I really liked that moment i laughed a lot uh this time even when i saw that um basically i'm giving one laugh out loud to the whole weapons pitch tony is so ridiculous when he pitches his weaponry and right down to you know having the drink ready to go uh, as soon as the demonstration is over but mostly just that bit of him holding his arms stretched out as the concussion wave uh blows past him I 
just I, it just it seemed funny to me. I laughed when I saw it. I thought it was great. The next moment, the whole ten percent capacity thrust control, because Tony and Dummy's relationship is just absolutely hilarious. Every time Dummy's on screen, I'm probably going to laugh. And the way that Tony treats him as well. Um, <laughs> it, it, for instance, yet another laugh out loud moment for me uh, when he says that Dummy will be donated to City College. On top of that, that kind of deflated bowing that Dummy gives because it doesn't get to put out a fire. Uh, <laughs> that is hilarious as well. It's like it wanted to be helpful. It wanted to be fire control. Oh, no, I'm not going to get to. Oh, uh, I just I, I love Dummy. Dummy is my favorite inanimate object in all of the MCU, I do believe. Uh, then you have the, the, the kill power uh, crash where he kills the power and he crashes and dummy does the fire suppression. <laughs> I loved, I love that relationship between the two of them. It is just so great. And finally, uh, the last laugh out loud moment for me was that itty bitty little missile coming off of Tony Stark and going into that big tank and just blowing the heck out of it. Laughed totally also fist pumped on that, but I'll get to that in a second. Score moments. There was only one. This is weird for me because I'm a huge fan of Ramin Javadi. I am a huge fan of his work for Game of Thrones, his work for Westworld, his work for Person of Interest even. Uh, everything that Ramin does seems to turn gold. But I have not been impressed with the way that his scores have worked in the MCU in particular. And not just this film, not just Iron Man, but also uh, the newer, the Phase 4 movie, The Eternals. I think that Ramin's score for that, standing on its own, is a wonderful piece of art. But working with that particular film, it just doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't really put me anywhere MCU-ish. For whatever reason, if there's such a thing as being MCU-ish as far as music scores go. There are some composers in the MCU that I don't like any of their stuff outside of the MCU. Like Henry Jackman. Love his Winter Soldier stuff. Love the Civil War stuff even. Although not as high on that as I am on the Civil War stuff. Love the Falcon and the Winter Soldier stuff. I thought that that was fantastic for Disney+. Plus. But his stuff outside of the MCU, yeah, I mean, I could take or leave Jumanji next level. On the other hand, Lauren Balfe, who I love his His Dark Materials stuff. I love his Wheel of Time stuff. I love his Mission Impossible stuff. Yet, I wasn't a big fan of his score of Black Widow. I thought it was decent, but it didn't like make me go, oh, yeah, he belongs in the MCU as someone who does film scoring. It's really weird how that works with me and the music composers. Uh, at any rate, Ramin's score only got one nod from me uh, worth one point. Uh, it's when he gives, you know, that next mission speech. And uh, it's called, the track is called, Are Those Bullet Holes? And the official uh, movie soundtrack. And, and it is a piece that gets a point because it's one of those things that that's Ramin as an artist. That 
same chord progression, that very similar shape and everything is also existent in the Game of Thrones scene where uh, you have Jorah showing Danny his grayscale. What episode is that? Season six, episode five, I believe, The Door. Um, that's the one where you hear almost the exact replication of this piece of music in that show. And it works there. And here it works fairly well, too. But it's one of the few things that did work for Ramin there. Moving on to the holy bleep or freaked me out moments. Uh, there were two in Iron Man this time around for me. Uh, one was the attack in the first scene. It doesn't matter how many times I've seen this movie. Every time that first bomb hits, the IUD hits, I am shocked. And then the sequence just is completely, I just go, wow, this is just crazy. Um, so there's that. And then the other one was, this time around, was Obadiah just flat out telling Tony straight up to his face that he was the one who did the injunction. And that's before we see the true sinister side of Obadiah. But he just basically comes out and says it. I'm protecting you from yourself. Um, of course, we figure out what his real motivations are later. But just the audacity of that, saying, I'm the one who got, who got the injunction. That just always freaks me out how the MCU can take a character and and give them this moment where everything becomes crystal clear as to who they are. Plenty of fist pump moments. There there were uh, five instances where 10 points. And of course, as I've mentioned before, anytime you put ACDC in one of these MCU films, I'm going to fist pump. It's just me. That's, it doesn't matter how many times I've heard it, how many times I expect it, it's going to happen. The next one was pulling away, uh, the shot of the camera pulling away uh, from the first suit as he is taking care of those first guards um, to see the original Iron Man suit was absolutely fabulous. Another one is when he's dealing with those some people, but later on when he, he, he flies off as the camp is blowing up, that uh, was a fist pump moment for me. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, I also laughed at this, but the little missile uh, killing the big tank, that was a fist pump moment for me. And uh, the biggest fist pump moment for me, I've been talking about it in, in discussing this whole movie pretty much, uh, it's Dummy and Tony's relationship. The fact that Dummy is the one who brings him the arc reactor that ends up saving his life. That is amazing. And I totally fist pumped at that because it's a total representation of dummy's undying love for Tony and how much Tony hurts him with his harsh words. Um, you would think that would be a something in my eye moment, but I were none. There were no something in my eye moments in this particular movie for me, at least not this time around. Maybe the dummy thing would have gotten me before, uh, but not this time. Uh, but I did give the three bonus points again for this being uh, perhaps the most important film of the MCU franchise, just because absolutely it, there's just no chance that we've got anything without this movie. We don't get any more probably if this movie fails. There's some notes that I have here. I can only think of Tony Stark being Robert Downey Jr. 
that is forever typecast for me. Uh, no matter what they did with a Tony Stark character in animation or whatever, I will always see Robert Downey Jr.'s face when I'm looking at any character of terror, any characterization of Tony Stark. And the, really the same goes for Pepper. I will only see Gwyneth Paltrow when I think of Pepper. It, that's the face that will forever come to my mind as hap, as well as happy. Uh, John Favreau doing a great job with the, you know, the star Wars stuff with the Mandalorian and book of Boba Fett and, and what have you, but he's always going to be happy to me no matter what. He's just always going to be happy to me. Rhodes is a weird story for me because I feel like Terrence Howard's portrayal was perfect for this first movie. But in a lot of ways, he's kind of a chump. He kind of gets blown over by Tony a lot in this first movie. And I think the change to Don Cheadle in Iron Man 2 was actually a good improvement, or at least the way once they casted Don Cheadle made it so that they tailored the story more to that kind of character to turn him into, you know, the other Iron Man, so to speak, the government Iron Man. Uh, I think that was really important uh, to do that changeover. But here, in this particular movie, the way that it's written, I don't think I would have wanted Don Cheadle uh, as Rhodes in this particular movie. So those are my notes for this particular movie. Now, here's the thing that I'm going to do. We've got three movies left. We've got Thor. We've got Captain America First Avenger. And we've got Marvel's Avengers. Those are the three movies left in the MCU. And I am not going to give you those ratings this particular podcast. Instead, I'm going to make you tune into the next podcast uh, to hear what my top three of phase one are. It's it's a dirty thing to do, but my time restraints are, are a little more happening right now. Do want to tell you, though, that I will put on a poll what you think my favorite MCU phase movie, phase one movie will be. And I will reveal those results in the next episode as well. So go to at bus blockbuster on Twitter, find that poll, vote on it. You can't be wrong because I'm as volatile as a new element. You never know what I'm going to do uh, because nothing I do makes any kind of logical sense. So at bus blockbuster on Twitter, find that poll. You can always send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. You can leave comments on our YouTube videos. Find those YouTube videos with the Double P Media channel. That's the word double, the letter P, the word media. Just search for that on YouTube. Or you can go to youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P media and find them there or you can tweet to them about anything that we're doing uh, here or on any of their number of other feeds lots of things coming up this year you can follow them at the word double the letters phq that stands for podcast headquarters and tweet to them and say hey what are you guys going to be covering i can tell you that we're covering the last kingdom season five which comes out this month i can tell you that uh, i think bubba is covering magpie murders uh, which is out on BritBox already, but will be out on PBS later, and he will be covering it then. Um, 
the Boston Blockbusters here. We're going to be covering the Lord of the Rings series on Amazon, season two of The Wheel of Time. I'm going to be continuing to bother you with these MCU podcasts. And next time for our phase one, part two, I will be uh, also breaking down some music. Not this time around, because again, I've got some time restraints here. I'm rambling. I'm going to stop now. Thanks for listening to part one of the MCU phase one quantity ratings, not quality ratings, because I'm not qualified to give quality, but I am qualified to count and musicians count a lot. So I can count how many times I laugh when I watch a movie. And that's why you get a quantity rating of the MCU. You. See ya.